Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Grant paused in the act of turning the thing over to consider the face a moment longer. A judge? A soldier? A prince? Someone used to great responsibility and responsible in his authority. Someone too conscientious. A warrior. Perhaps a perfectionist. Someone too who had suffered ill health as a child. He had that incommunicable, that indescribable look that childhood suffering leaves behind it. He turned the portrait over to look for a caption. On the back was printed, Richard III. Now that is Josephine Tay's novel, The Daughter of Time, published in 1951. It's often described as one of the greatest whodunits ever written. It's the, the book that effectively kick-started the kind of Ricardian romance with Richard III, and it is by far the most celebrated attempt to solve the mystery of the princes in the tower tom holland until now because now the rest is history <laughs> will tread in josephine tay's footsteps and we will solve the mystery won't we well yes i i'm sure we'll come to this when we we look at um how, how people have understood the mystery of the princes in the tower but that that thing in josephine tay's uh novel that um that richard looks a kind of kind man he's very kind doesn't uh, it? So the um, head of the, the 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 lady who discovered Richard III in that car park in Leicester, Philippa Langley, she yes. famously said, didn't she, when she saw a portrait of Richard III, she, I think she says it in the documentary, is she that does. the face of a tyrant? Such a kind face. Yes. <laughs> Which I have to say, when you look, because it's a reconstruction, isn't it, based on the, the, That's right. the, the, yes, the body, the, the skull that was found. I, I think when you look at him, it was terrifying. <laughs> 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 looks actually rather like Laurence Olivier in the... Yes, he does, the, actually. The well, that's because they've given him Olivier's wig, though, haven't yeah. they? Anyway, we'll come on to all that. Um, but uh, welcome back to the second half of um, our episode on the princes in the tower. And Dominic, in, in the first half, um, basically, he's only just become king, Edward V. Yeah. So we should pick up on the 9th of April, uh, 1483, shouldn't we? So Edward IV has died, and he's left two sons, Edward, 12, Richard, 9, uh, Richard, he's with his mother, isn't he, in London? Yeah, in London. Uh, but Edward is in Ludlow with his uncle, Anthony Woodville, Lord Rivers. And then he has another uncle, Richard of Gloucester, who is basically the, the boss Running of the, the north, north. Yeah. Who's up in the north. So at the moment Middle that Edward, Castle. Edward the Fourth dies, there is a degree of, well, there isn't necessarily uncertainty. Straight away what happens is a council meets, doesn't it? And they agree... Fine, Edward IV has died. We'll have the coronation for Edward V on the 4th of May. But the issue is he's too young to rule in his own right at the age of 12. So obviously there's some uncertainty about who's actually So basically, basically it's four years, isn't there? So he'll, yeah. he'll... So not long, but long enough, I suppose, to entrench your networks and to use the power of patronage. Who's going to control the machine between now and then? That's the question. Well, there are two things, aren't there? Who's going to control the machine? And who is going to have control access to the young king? Because those right. are two slightly yeah. different issues. Okay, so we, we have two questions, which I think go together very well. One from Joe Johnson. 
Was there any scenario in which the Woodvilles or the council could have outmaneuvered Richard to protect the prince's succession? Or was Richard just too powerful and the prince's fate was sealed as soon as Edward IV died? And Robert Elliot, did Richard have his eye on the crown from the moment Edward IV died? Or was it only when he realised Edward V would never forgive him? So, um, you know, massive spoiler alert there. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, everyone listening to this episode will know that um, Richard ends up taking the crown. Yeah. So Edward those the, two... Edward V vanishes into the tower. But was it inevitable that was going to happen? Uh, was Richard always planning to be to usurp the crown. That's that's basically the plot of Richard III. Yeah. The, the plot of Richard III, Richard is trying to get rid of everyone who stands in the way of him. You know, he he, he murders everybody. Uh, and that clearly seems to, you know, I mean, that's clearly not not the case. But when Edward IV dies, does, does the news, does Richard think, okay, this is my chance to become king? I would say no, Tom. I, I would, would say too. absolutely no. Yeah, I, uh, I would too. I think there's no evidence to suggest that Richard is thinking of becoming king before his brother dies. And I would say, now the interesting thing is that the common portrait of Richard III is the sort of the Shakespeare portrait. He's incredibly cunning and conniving and he's planning everything long in advance. He's playing a very long game. I don't think there's any evidence for that. I think he is. He's as caught short as everybody else. From the moment his brother dies, he is, he is scrambling as they all are to find their place in the new, in the new world. And he's constantly improvising. Um, I, th- I think some of his biographers have pointed this out, that actually he doesn't seem to have a long-term strategy. He is constantly grasping for kind of short-term solutions, which often cause then problems of their own further down the line. So he'll make and break alliances, yeah. pick people up and drop them, all H- of these however, kinds of things. However, um, there is kind of a, a warning from history from the reign of Henry VI, of course, yeah. was was even younger than um, Edward V, um, so he had to have a kind of protector, uh, and and that fit, that role was taken on by Humphrey, the Duke of Gloucester, who's the youngest brother of Henry V, and it doesn't end well for him. His wife gets accused of witchcraft. Um, he gets kind of dragged down in scandal. Um, he's chiefly remembered now for setting up a library in Oxford. Um, so. Richard Richard knows that the role of protector is is a treacherous one. Um yeah. and it's all the more treacherous if there are kind of rival factions who well, th- well, that who, raises who, who other, hate you. So the that, question, isn't it? The Joe Johnson's question yes. about yeah. could the Woodvilles have outmaneuvered Richard? Now maybe you'll disagree with me about this, Tom. I don't know. I would say yes, there clearly is a scenario in which the Woodvilles win the day. And I would say that by not by looking backwards, but by looking forwards, as we did a little bit in the last episode. So this is not massively dissimilar from the position when Henry VIII dies. He also has a very young heir in Edward VI, who has a parvenu family around him, the Seymours. Now, what happens with Henry VIII and that succession? He takes longer to die. So the Seymours have lots of time to get all their kind of their forces lined up. They also have a, a little bit of a coup before Henry VIII dies to get rid of their factional rival, the Duke of Norfolk and stuff. So as soon as Henry VIII dies, they move into position, their troops seal off roads, they take possession of the young king, they sort it all out, and basically, you know, it's fine. Yeah. They win the day. Now, the Woodvilles don't do that, I think, partly because they don't have time, but also arguably because they are less ruthless. They are insufficiently ruthless, I would say. Yeah, I think so. They don't identify well, Richard as a... Uh, they don't identify 
two people. One is Richard, and the other is a man called Hastings. Yes. So, so I think a, f- a further reason why they why they can't um, coordinate is that the two key Woodfills, so Elizabeth, the Queen, and um, Anthony, her brother, are, are separate. The Queen is in London, and yeah. Anthony Wood- Lord Rivers is in Ludlow. Yeah. So, so it's a big problem. So you mentioned that he's in you mentioned Hastings. Um, yeah, he'd been a Chamberlain. Sorry, I didn't finish my sentence. So, so he's been he, 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 Hastings is is so that the the big we've talked about the rivalries with between the Woodvilles and 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 Richard, um, which obviously are the kind of Titanic ones, but there are there are other factions within the Yorkist court as well. And Hastings is a key player. He's been a kind of loyal supporter of Edward IV right the way through. And in fact, he he kind of takes a bribe from Elizabeth Woodville right back um, in 1464 when um, she is angling to meet Edward IV. Uh, and ever since then, there's been kind of tension between them. But but she, the, Elizabeth Woodville and Hastings do kind of try and arrive at an accommodation. Obviously, they can't do it with reference to Richard because he's up in the north. But they kind of arrive at an agreement that um, that all the people who come into London should have small retinues, so that you're not getting large armies yeah. kind of congregating on. Because they don't want another outbreak of the Wars of the Roses kind of scenario where people pitch up with little armies. Exactly, and so that sh- that shows that um, that Hastings and and uh, the Woodfields are kind of trying to arrive at an accommodation. Um, there's a kind of famous scene in, in Shakespeare's play where Edward's on his deathbed and he, um, he, he obliges all the various factions to kind of kiss and make up. I think that's true, actually, Tom, isn't that? Isn't I, I that, think uh, it is true. There's yes. chronic, chronicle evidence for yeah. that. Yeah. And, and just to go back to the factions, with the question we had last episode, is this Edward IV's great sort of downfall? Is it his failing as a king? I mean, my answer to that would be, in, yeah, remember, the factions are always going to be there. There's always going to be all this competition for lands, for estates, for offices at the kind of often starting at a very, very local level. You see it in the past and letters and things, this yeah. famous kind of medieval source. So it's inevitable there's going to be a degree of rivalry. The question is, I suppose, what they all have to calculate is, are we all going? To, is there anybody with an ulterior motive? Are some are, are, when people talk about compromise, do they mean it? If they don't mean it, should I strike first or should I? Well, you could do absolutely. Nothing? Sit. Did you ever play the game Kingmaker? Oh uh, no, I know the game you mean. Sensational board game, which kind of revolves around all these kind of tensions. You know, who do you make alliances with? Who do you kill? All this kind of stuff, um, and you can see why. Um, you know this such dramatic material for Shakespeare and then the influence that those plays have had on mafia dramas or whatever. I mean, it is, it is a a, a very tense scenario, but so essentially what's agreed is that um, Elizabeth Woodville and Hastings in London are trying to arrive at accommodation. There's the council as well in London and they're also part of it. The question is what's going to happen to the, the, the young King's two uncles. And they agree that they will, um, rendezvous uh at northampton that's right so richard and anthony woodville anthony woodville is bringing edward with him and richard is coming south and they will meet um in northampton now richard is also going to meet another person who we haven't mentioned at all yeah who is the duke of buckingham and buckingham had been edward the fourth's ward he's a sort of he's a he's a landowner in the sort of uh, in the welsh marches he's got a big place at brecon called brecknock um he's a slightly disaffected figure slightly on the fringes of the regime isn't he well he 
like the House of York and like the House of Lancaster, is descended from Edward III. Yeah. So he has a very, very tenuous... Very tenuous claim. And he's married to Catherine Woodville, who is one of the Queen's sisters. Yeah. So he's kind of part of the world, but he's slightly on the outside, but he's ambitious, isn't he? He's and he was brought up ambitious. with Richard, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, well, he, so he they brought... know each other well. Um, but he's never been a player, particularly till now. Yeah. Going back, just a quick question, um, to a quick moment to Robert Elliott's thing about Richard. Is Richard, as he comes south, is he thinking, right, I need to plan this to get my hands on the crown? I would say no. I, think I would he's say planning, Richard. I need, to, I need to get my hands on the king. What he's thinking is, he's been running the north. He has all his people that he knows in the north and people who owe him loyalty. And he, he owes them his protection. You know, that's the way this works. That's the way the system works. So his guiding principle, I think, is how can I protect my own position and make sure that I don't end up being killed and that my people stripped of all their estates and my family thrown out in the cold? I think that's what's driving him. They're all driven as much, I think, by fear as they are by greed or ambition or any of those things. And I think there's no question as to what his answer to that question is, which to begin with is not to take the crown himself, but to take control of the young king. Yeah. And we know that because of what happens, which is that um, on the 29th of April, they all meet up at Stony Stratford, which is just outside. Well, the Woodvilles are in Stony Stratford, but this is yeah, crucial, and, actually. And yeah, he's and, in and, North and Richard, Richard, and Richard is, um, and, and Buckingham arrives late. That's right. And Richard and Buckingham kind of plot well, so Richard's already met. <laughs> so the, 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 the Woodvilles, they've left Edward at Stony Stratford with his retinue. They go into Northampton for a meeting with Richard. And, they, and apparently at that meeting, he has a very cheerful and merry face. So that all seems to go well. Buckingham arrives late. And then we know that Richard and Buckingham sit up late into the night talking. And then and the, next morning, the next morning, everything changes, doesn't it? So Anthony Woodville wakes up to find that his... Bed and breakfast, his Airbnb <laughs> is, is surrounded. So too does um, Edward V's half brother, uh, Sir Richard Grey. So yeah. uh, the the younger son of Elizabeth Woodville before she married Edward IV, and they're arrested. Um, and Richard and Buckingham go to see Edward V, and they say that um, Rivers was 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 not just a, a traitor, but morally disreputable. And this is what, something that Richard is very, very keen on. He's he's very hostile to displays of vice and very, very keen on kind of playing the uh, the defender of morality. Well, clearly, and, by the standards of the day, although he has illegitimate children, yeah, his own, sure, he's quite a sure. prurient kind of person. Do you sure, know, I think but, but, that really comes out from his piety. But I think, his... I think, but I think it's it's clear that Anthony Woodville was a, an effective guardian. And this actually is precisely the problem because when Richard goes and, and tells Edward the Edward the Fifth, your your guardian was is a disgrace. He's a traitor. We've got to get rid of him. But it's fine. You're now. I'm going to look after you. Um, Edward the Fifth says, I, I, "No, um, yeah. he was great. Uh, I, you know, I, th I think he's wonderful. I love there's him." A point at this, um, and there's I a point think, here, isn't there, Tom? I right? think this is the key moment. Isn't there a point here, though, where it occurred to me if Edward V had been younger, this wouldn't have been so much of a problem? Exactly. So if he'd been it, five, yeah. he would have sort of said, "Oh, okay, oh, fine, okay," uh, and and off they'd have gone to London. But twelve is quite old. Absolutely. And, and clearly, he just listens to what his uncle, who he hasn't probably seen that much of, not at all. 
He has, well, he's, he's listened to his other uncle, River. He likes the, the, the problem is that he sides with Rivers. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. And, and this is, this is a problem. That's a Richard. definite problem. And I think that everything, everything follows from that because the fact that Richard is confronted with the nightmare prospect that, you know, the lessons of history teach him, which is that once once a, a king comes of age, He'll turn it's very, on, very yeah. bad news for, the, for, for yeah. the protector, and especially if there are rival factions. Of course. Now, Tom, I'll tell you a quick fact, by the way, about this coup in Northamptonshire. So the key family in around Northamptonshire at that time is a family called the Wake family. If you've read uh, Tom Penn's book, The Brothers mm-hmm. York, which describes It's a wonderful this, book. He talks quite a lot about the Wake family. Um, they are still in Northamptonshire. And uh, the the heir to the dynasty is a listener to this podcast. Oh, Johnny Wake. <laughs> How do you know that? Uh, because his um, his children are at school with my son. Oh, that's brilliant. So this and is living history. I uh, I was very excited when I discovered that, and hopefully he will be too. Uh, although they, since the, his family took part in a coup, that ended up with <laughs> <laughs> some yes. infanticide. Whether. The, <laughs> Maybe he won't appreciate me <laughs> mentioning knows, it. Knows. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> so yes, so Richard has taken possession of Edward. Now, Tom, we didn't mention that what Elizabeth Woodville is doing with Richard of York, because obviously, when when word of this, oh, she's straight off to sanctuary again. She 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 reads the runes. Yeah, I mean, course. you're well, a big fan of hers. Her, I know. Bro- her brother has been taken off to Pontefract, which, as a- anyone familiar with the reign of Richard II will know. Terrible if you get taken to Pontefract. You're always bound to die. Because um, yeah. that's where Richard the, Richard II gets murdered. Um, so, yes, Elizabeth Elizabeth is straight off to Westminster again. And, and in a way, that, that's a sign. She recognises straight away what's going on. And she can see that once Richard of Gloucester has taken that first step, which I think he's taken for completely understandable reasons, he wants to protect himself from the Woodfields, and once he's taken that first step of the of securing the king, yeah, he's, he's stuck. trapped. He's stuck he on is, a kind of yeah. He's he's on the escalator. Because I mean, you could argue he's happens, been on the escalator from day one, though, couldn't but you? But what then happens? Because again, it he 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 comes to London, he he goes to the council, and he tells the council to condemn Rivers as a traitor, and yeah. the council basically turn around and say, "Well, where's your evidence?" and it's exactly as when Richard has confronted Edward V and Edward V says, well, I like rivers. But despite that, the council kind of go along with, with Richard. He's clearly the, 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 the Grand Fromage now in the, in the, in, in the Yorkist court. Yeah, because um, it's about a month, isn't it? Yeah, 4th of May and- till the 13th of June, where he's the boss. Everything seems like it might calm down. Do you not think in that period? There's Except that two crucial period? steps are taken. Presumably, you know, absolutely led by Richard. One of which is to postpone um, Edward V's coronation to the twenty second of June. That's right. So yeah. that's postponed. And the other, notoriously, is he should be lodged in the Tower. But Tom, and that's, that's not, not inherently sinister. That's not that ominous because no. at that point, there's no record of killing people in the Tower. Particularly, I mean, some people well, have Henry died the in the Sixth, Tower. Henry, Henry the Sixth. Sixth. Okay, it's, but the it, Tower. It, it is a prison think, as well as a royal residence. It is, but I think when people hear that about the Tower, they think about. Henry VIII uh, and his yeah. wives, and they think, oh, it means the chopping block. It doesn't. It's You're a, right. It's, it's yes. the main royal complex in London. I think the scary thing for Edward V and for people, his sort of pals, is that he is surrounded by Richard's men. Richard has total control of him at this stage. So he's cut off from the, the Woodvilles. He's, his uncles are, you know, his uncle is in captivity, and he is utterly at the mercy of Richard's guards. 
that's the sort of scary thing. Yeah. But at that point, yeah. does he think he's in danger of his life? Surely not. Well, Richard wants... So, so on the 10th of June, he summons a, basically a massive army from the north. So the entire agreement that people wouldn't bring in large armies, Richard parks that. Yeah. Um, and we talked about Blackadder. Yeah. Uh, it's taken by Sir Richard Ratcliffe, who is played in the um, Ian McKellen film of Richard III by Tim McEnany, who's darling. Oh, right. Uh, um, uh, Percy. And then yeah, Percy. Darling. Yeah, Percy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, a little connection there. Three days later, isn't it, that you start yeah. to get... <laughs> yes. You had this trim- incredible scene which Shakespeare famously, brilliantly yeah. recreates. where Because the other key figure has been Hastings, who was, who was the, basically the ultimate Edward IV loyalist. Um, and and, and is loyal to the house. I think clearly stands for compromise. So I think reading between the lines, what's happened is that in the days just reading up to this council meeting on the 13th of June, Richard has probably sounded out Hastings and said, you know, where do we go from here? I could be king. You know, I don't have to be, but I could be. You know, and maybe that would sort all me, out. You know, and we could, we could kind of knock out the Woodvilles completely, just take them out of the equation if i'm king and you can be number two or something and hastings probably said no i think edward v has to be king because he's and loyal to edward he's, he's loyal to edward the fourth and therefore to the line and, and ultimately yeah. his his loyalty to edward the fourth is greater than his hostility to elizabeth woodville and so therefore he is an edward the fifth loyalist and i think at that point richard thinks it's that classic thing that we saw with vitalius yeah richard thinks oh god well, if he's not going to be on my side, what am I I've going to do? I've got to kill him. I've got to kill him now. And so, I think but, that's but absolutely also, I mean, what it's, happens. It's, it's, it's interesting. So, so in Shakespeare's play, uh, Richard says, look, you know, I've been, I've been bewitched and, and shows his withered arm. Yeah. But actually, it's, what he's doing is he, he's accusing Elizabeth Woodville of using witchcraft against him. Yeah. And that's obviously calculated to get Hastings on board because Hastings hates the Woodvilles. But Hastings hesitates and says no. And so Richard has him executed. Yes, he does. Um, and, and one of Hastings's man, it's interesting, this sort of Game of Thrones type dimension, because Hastings's great deputy was a man called Sir William Catesby. And he ditches Hastings at this point. Clearly, Richard has suborned him in some way. He turns on Hastings. Um, and, and Hastings is effectively, he's basically dragged out of the council, yeah, isn't he? And taken off to yeah. the chopping block. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then three days later, um, again, kind of in the Olivier film brilliant scene when the young Richard of Shrewsbury is released by Elizabeth Woodville so he's the nine-year-old brother yeah the, the younger and, prince and there's a kind of an, a terrifying exchange between them where he 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 the, the little boy jokes with Richard and Richard kind of <laughs> fixes him with his stare um very very sinister moment um whether it it seems sinister to people but I mean it must be People must be starting to think. Well, presumably at this point. So Elizabeth Woodville hands her son over out of sanctuary to join his older brother in the tower. And presumably she does this because she thinks... Okay, the coronation point, is going ahead. At this point, well, she thinks Richard is clearly determined he's going to be a protector. He's going to be the big man. The thing to do now is appease him. Yeah. You know, give him my younger son. The coronation is still on. The coronation... Is still supposedly going to happen on the 22nd of June. But once, as soon as Richard Sr. has got hold of the little boy, he says, actually, no, the coronation is not going to happen until November now. Yeah. 
And, and at that um, point, and- you're like, is it ever going to happen? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, then, and then there's a sermon preached on the 22nd of June, isn't there? Yeah, um, Ralph Shaw. And he, he says, I mean, they have two arguments, don't they? Not even just one, which is clearly a sign that you know your arguments are... A bad one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so first of all, this guy says Edward IV was completely illegitimate anyway. He was a bastard. So Richard basically accuses his own his mother, own mother. of sleeping around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cecily, Cecily Neville. He says, you know, she, she wasn't faithful to my father anyway. I mean, Edward IV wasn't even my brother. And look at Clarence as well. Because he says yeah. he says um, Edward and Edward and Clarence didn't look anything like their father. <laughs> yeah, but I do. <laughs> but then he the, then the other argument is um, he wasn't any and and he wasn't married to Elizabeth Woodville anyway because he had there'd been a pre contract with another woman Eleanor Talbot later. He was conveniently Eleanor dead. Butler. Yeah. So so not only is he a bastard, was he a bastard, my brother, but my nephews are bastards too. Um. I mean, and I, I, think, I think I think even the most devoted Ricardian has some, you know, it's <laughs> a guy who's prepared to kind of say that about his mother, simply so that he can displace well, his nephew. He's desperate though at this point, don't it's, you think? Yes, but it's it's poor form, Dominic. I suppose it is poor form. Don't you think? I mean, I I don't think yeah. that's that's not filial behaviour. No, no, it's not all. filial. I mean, it's definitely um, not very filial behaviour. Um, and I think pretty much straight afterwards. Th- the Duke of Buckingham, who's this sort of Weasley figure we mentioned earlier, who's basically attached himself to Richard as chief ally, he goes to the Guildhall, doesn't he, and orchestrates yeah. these calls. Again. Says, "Oh, we should get Richard the yeah. and not- again, <laughs> brilliant in in the play." The guards all sort of, "Hurrah! Yeah, what a great <laughs> yeah. idea!" Yeah. Basically, being you know given a groat each or something to to shout this, and then it's all very swift, incredibly yeah. swift. So the twenty fifth uh, of June. Um, the princes are declared illegitimate. And the thing, you know, the, the further thing that I think marks this out as deeply treacherous is that all these rumours about the illegitimacy of the princes and the illegitimacy of, of uh, Edward's marriage to Elizabeth Woodville, it, it all originated in the swirl of kind of calumnies and propaganda that had accompanied the coup against Edward back in 1470. Yeah, the war so, coup. Exactly. The they're is. resuscitating old so rumors. They're resuscitating all that. But is it, I mean, Tom, I, I'm very hesitant to, more hesitant than you are, to say, oh, this is terrible villainy. This is, I think all it would have taken would be for Richard to have won, won battle, and we would be telling this story differently, I think. We would be telling it as ruthless see, I, I don't and, think so. and, and, and very hard nosed, but I think we would say, Frankly, this is medieval politics. This is what Henry the Fourth did to but Richard the Second. It's not though. It's not. It's, well, they, it's the difference is because it's got kids. But that's it's bad nephews. luck. That is Richard's it's bad luck. It's nephews. And you think about the other king who murdered his nephew. And I, I've given away there the fact that I think that Richard is responsible for the murder of the princes of the tower. Um, is John? Yeah. And the two kings who have had the worst reputations in English history are John and Richard the Third. And I think it's no coincidence that they were both at least believed to be guilty of the same crime. And you can argue whether whether they really were, but but that was their reputation. They're totally and that's why, different characters, though, Tom. Of course. But, I mean, but, John but, is but, famously but, 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 but Dominic, the thing and... is, But the thing is that this is not, um, this is not normal behaviour at yeah, all. Yeah, but it's not a normal position. Of course it's not. Richard and, is and, in. I, I, I agree. I and mean, incredibly... It, you, yeah, he's 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 firefighting. He he's, basically, he's, if he doesn't do any of the I, steps I, that he I, I does, he probably thinks that. he will die. I entirely accept that, 
but I, I still think that, um, you know, a, a, a accusing your, your mother of sleeping around, um, <laughs> it's like the plot of EastEnders. <laughs> it is very, well, all the while, uh, you know, plotting to get rid of your, your, your nephews, um, resuscitating rumors spread about by your own family's enemies. Um, you've, you've lost Philippa Langley as a listener. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> well, yeah, probably, probably. But I, th I, I think it's, it's, um, I, and then when you throw into that, the, the kind of the tone of sanctimony, which I'm sure, you know, is, is the expression of an authentic Christian sensibility, but it does slightly, it makes him seem an unpleasant figure, I think. I think we've been, since we've been talking for almost half an hour and you're getting more and more, um, judgmental well hold on hold on let's we should, let's, let's, let's get, get no. have him crowned yeah so let's get him crowned so so um the the princes are declared illegitimate yeah um rivers and richard gray are executed yeah. at pontefract um rivers has written a rather stylish poem and <laughs> and you know he's very cool even on the shopping block um and uh on the 6th of july richard is crowned and lots of people turn up but lots of people don't elizabeth woodville is not there and who else is not there well, Edward V is not there. Really, interestingly, there had been plans for him to attain Lord the coronation. Edward. They had ordered him clothes and shoes and spurs and horses. So weirdly, although he'd been declared illegitimate, he was going to attend his uncle's coronation, which I suppose would have been the ultimate kind of affirmation of the new regime, that even the kids themselves yeah, accept, accept it. But he's not there. And at this point, there, there are... There's a there's a trace reference which we'll come to perhaps after the break of him in captivity, but at this point the princes themselves effectively leave the story. So this is the point I think at which we should take a break, and we can return after the break, and we will be solving the mystery of the princes in their tower. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time, don't we? But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Well, Dominic, you'll know that uh, my great love is cricket, and cricket is a sport that notoriously takes up a lot of time. So imagine, if I had even more time, just how brilliant I would be. And I've worked out that the best way to squeeze things into your schedule is to know what's really important to you so that you can make it a priority. Well, Tom, therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities, so you'll know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash rest is history today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash rest is history. Welcome back to The Rest is History. We are poised to solve the mystery of the princes in the tower. So <laughs> Richard III has been crowned on the 6th of July. Um, the, the two, his two nephews did not turn up at the coronation. 
Um, we know that that summer they are seen playing in the gardens at the Tower of London complex. A prison is part of it, but it's not just a prison. It's a kind of royal complex. They are seen practicing archery. There is talk of faces at windows. But at some point that summer, their household servants are dismissed. And then they are never seen again. So, Tom, I mean, it's the key question. What happens to them? So we've got the question from uh, Megan Young. Do you think the princes were murdered? And if so, when and by whom? Um, I would have thought the overwhelming probability is that they were murdered and that it was done on Richard's orders. And uh, absolute certainty on this obviously is impossible because otherwise people wouldn't be debating it to this day. So we're not going to solve it because uh, no definitive solution is ultimately possible. But I would, I, I think the overwhelming probability is that, that they were murdered and Richard did it. So let's look at the the, the, the other candidate. Go on then. Yeah. The so other, the other major There's really can- only one candidate, I would say, other than Richard, didn't you? wouldn't you? Which would be Buckingham. Yeah, agreed. So Buckingham is Constable of England. He has been rewarded. So he might conceivably have access to the tower. Yeah, because that's very the key, hard, isn't it? That's the very key. Do you hard have access? to see how he has access without Richard's knowledge. Because Richard is the king. He His men control everything. So to me, it's hard to see how Buckingham... And also... The, 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 so Buckingham is the, we open this episode with a quotation from The Daughter of Time by Josephine Tay. In Josephine Tay's book, her detective Alan Grant is laid up in hospital with a broken leg and he's, and he, and he falls to solving the mystery of the princes in their tower and he reads all the evidence and he decides that Buckingham did it. And Richard's enthusiasts have often thought that Buckingham did it. So there's a, there's a really brilliant book, which I loved when I was about 12, a great sort of biography of Richard III, the, the, probably the definitive one for a lot of Ricardians by American academic called Paul Murray Kendall. And he has this big appendix in which he also thinks that Buckingham did it. And he sort of says Buckingham had his, was playing a long game. He had his eye on the throne. He probably acted without Richard knowing. He had access to the tower. I ultimately find that a bit implausible. I think Richard is so clearly the man in charge. Yeah. And he's the obvious person with well, most it's, it's, to gain. It's, and again, I mean, it would be like if, if Buckingham were responsible, it would be in the way that Richard would have been responsible for the murder of Henry VI, i.e. not ultimately because it was Edward IV. It, it, the buck stops with the king. Yeah. And the sort of counter-argument, we should, we should, the counter-argument is, Tom, that Richard is weakened by the deaths of the two boys because people hold it against him. And he doesn't immediately gain anything by it. But I would say, in answer to that, there is a, the first revolt, isn't there, in late July. So mm-hmm. within a month of his coronation, yeah. there is an attempt by some conspirators to rescue the two boys yeah. and to stage a sort of pro-Woodville counter-coup. Yeah. And, I mean, all everything you know about thousands of years of history is that when that kind of thing happens, the person in charge decides, usually will get rid of the focus of 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 resistance yeah. you know get rid of the alternative candidates that's what dictators kings emperors have done throughout all history so it would make complete sense for richard at that point to say oh my god they've got to go i can't keep having these revolts and i don't think that's because he's evil and malignant i just think that's because he's he hard-headed throughout politics the calculus of power yeah and i think the other the other thing that um, militates against um, the idea that buckingham did it 
is that Richard actually had the perfect, I mean, the problem for Richard is that people are starting to say they, they've been murdered. So the obvious way to counter that is to produce them. Yeah. So if you can't produce them, that is very, very suspicious, I think. Um, if they're dead, you can't produce them, then obviously the idea would be to try and blame someone for it. And the ideal opportunity takes place when when Buckingham, who has not been rewarded as he feels fit, joins in a, a rebellion that aims to bring Henry Tudor, the only conceivable Lancastrian claimant to the throne. Um, and, and this revolt is defeated. Um, Buckingham is captured. He is taken to Salisbury. He is taken to a courtyard between the Blue Boar Inn and the Saracen's Head Inn. Uh, off with his head, so much for Buckingham, in the, the famous cry of, of Richard III <laughs> in Shakespeare's play. Um, and Buckingham's head is severed in, I think I've already mentioned this, what becomes the laundry department of Debenhams in Salisbury, <laughs> which has uh, sadly <laughs> since closed. A lovely but, detail. Uh, but for a long time, um, you know, you go in to buy a bra and yeah. <laughs> Duke of Buckingham would pop up <laughs> carrying his head. Well, you know what Richard um, said about Buckingham's rebels? He said they were horrible adulter- adulterers and boards. So yeah. in a way, they're kind of ladies' underwear department <laughs> of a, of a mid-market department very, store. Very fitting. Makes complete, so, so, yeah. so, so Buckingham's, Buckingham's died a traitor. So it's the perfect opportunity for Richard to say, yeah, to oh, well, Buckingham him. did it. Yeah. But he doesn't. No, he doesn't. I mean, the other candidate that sometimes people... So I've been to the Richard III Experience, or whatever it's called, in Leicester, and you can vote. There's a sort of interactive element where you can vote about who you think did it, um, Richard Buckingham or Henry Tudor. And some people say Henry Tudor <laughs> killed them. Uh, very, very ardent Ricardians sometimes say this. But again, I think that's very, very implausible because I think... Well, Margaret Beaufort, his mother, is another candidate isn't it what have they been doing in the end you know what have the kids been doing in the interim well i'll tell you the other thing about margaret beaufort uh who, who's henry tudor's mother um is that she reached she reaches an accommodation with elizabeth woodville who's still in yeah. in sanctuary and the only conceivable reason for that is that they would both you know that, that, that they would have for that is that elizabeth woodville assumes that her, her children are dead although tom there is an interesting problem with the the richard the third the explanation that, that places Richard III as the as the murderer, and that is that Elizabeth Woodville also reaches an accommodation with Richard herself. So in March 1484, she leaves sanctuary and then reappears at court, which is a kind of slightly weird thing to do it's if not. she thinks her sons have. Well, I suppose it's your not. argument would be it's, it's not, she feels she has no choice. She's, well, she's also thinking about her daughter. She doesn't want to be whole. You know, she's assuming, I guess, that it's likely that Richard will will carry on. I mean, she's, yeah. she's trying to play both, you know, she's reaching accommodation with Margaret Beaufort to try and, and reach out to Henry VII as he will become, that he will marry her daughter, Elizabeth, which in due course is, of course, exactly what happens. Um, but he's, she's also kind of, you know, what, what's my fate going to be? What's the fate of my other children going to be under Richard? Well, it's quite clear that a lot of people think that, I think, I think it's quite clear that by that point, a lot of, most people think that the princes are dead. Because the anti-Ricardian forces have moved their focus yeah. to Henry and, Tudor, and you're starting which they get, wouldn't have done otherwise. And you're starting. The, so the rumours that uh, Thomas More picks up on, and, and which then ultimately feed into Shakespeare's play, which are you know they are, they're originating in this period, and they are that um, Brackenbury, who's the constable of the Tower of London, has refused to kill the princes. Um, that uh, it's been done by a guy called Sir James Tyrrell. 
Yeah. Who uh, is played in the Ian McKellen film by uh, Adrian Dunbar. All right. Very good. So Ted Hastings. Head of AC12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Bent Copper goes in and, and does it. And and that they're smothered by pillows. So that's the story that Thomas Moore will pick up or they're poisoned or interesting that they're drowned in a butter marmsey, which seems again, sort of unoriginal. Do that. Yeah, no, they're not going to do that again. doesn't it? <laughs> so I, th- I guess what all those rumours suggest is that people don't actually know what's happened, which is, of course, what you'd expect. You know, what is what is strange murdered, though but... and interesting, Tom, is that Henry the Seventh, when he finally defeats Richard at the Battle of Bosworth, he doesn't really make a huge deal about the princes, does he? Well, he doesn't want to, does he? Because he's he's worried about his claim. Uh, yeah, he's worried about his claim. So you know, he's going to marry their sister, and that's going to be you know. By that point, he he so initially he's kind of adopted as the Yorkist candidate, but he doesn't want to rule as the Yorkist candidate. Yeah, he 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 wants to park the whole issue. So all everything is focused on saying Richard the Third is was evil. He you know he was a dog, all that kind of stuff. You know, stick a knife in his bare buttock when he's dead, yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, but but you just part. Everybody has an interest in in letting dead princes lie, and I think that that's that's the issue. And I think the the apps you know the the, the pretty the conclusive proof that Henry the Seventh didn't you know that Henry the Seventh didn't murder them. Is that in due course when you start to get pretenders? Right. Well, this is the thing they don't like. He's in a they? genuine because... panic. I mean, he, you know, he, he. I thought they were dead. Yeah. Well, so what's really interesting about this is they don't disappear. Now you have a parallel, actually. Um, so people who know about Russian history will know that after Ivan the Terrible, there was something called the Time of Troubles, and there were all these people called false Dmitris who Dimitri was the youngest son of Ivan the Terrible who had died. And one of the false Dimitris, one of these pretenders, actually ends up ruling Russia for a, a couple of years or a year or so. So imposters, imposter pretenders are very common in history, especially at times of uncertainty and instability. And and Henry Tudor is very unstable. I mean, no one knows that Henry Tudor is going to last a long time, do they? Um, and actually, the Wars of the Roses don't really end in 1485. No, because, they carry on. I mean, first of all, just two years after he's taken power, you get Lambert Simnel. Now, Lambert Simnel, bizarrely, is not trying to is not impersonating one of the princes in the tower. He's impersonating the son of Clarence, who is what is he, the um, Earl, Earl of Warwick, Warwick. yeah, the young Earl of Warwick. And there's a battle at Stoke Field with Lambert Simnel's forces. I mean, he's only ten, but the forces representing him, which is actually bigger than the Battle of Bosworth, yeah, but it's completely unknown because the result is not, <laughs> but. So, so there's him, and and then there's Perkin Warbeck, and and yeah. what's kind of interesting is that um, originally Lambert Simnel claimed to be Richard of uh, of Shrewsbury, and then changed his mind and became the Earl of Warwick. Yes, uh, and with Perkin Warbeck, it was the other way round. That initially <laughs> he, he complained to be the Earl of Warwick, and then claimed to be Richard, and he was basically sponsored by Margaret of, Bo- of Burgundy, so Edward the Fourth's yeah sister. And he's he he's still- a Belgian, isn't he, uh, Perkin Warbeck? He's one of life's world's famous belgians yes like 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 uh, <laughs> or was he Burrow. or was he well no one really knows some people think he came from a place called tournay and um but it's well, so but unclear Walpole and philippa gregory uh both, they think he is they both thought he really was richard of shrewsbury which if yeah. he was it was you know sad fate well i mean sad fate for perkin warbeck as well because he, <laughs> he, he he wasn't very successful uh he he tried to land at deal couldn't manage that got beaten off went to ireland went to scotland uh, gave up, tried again, landed in Cornwall, ran away, got captured. Yeah, got looked after about two years and then got hanged. But then he he is executed with the little Earl of Warwick. 
the younger Earl of Warwick, Edward Earl of Warwick, isn't he? So they're either impersonating him or they're being executed <laughs> yeah. alongside him. It's all very confusing. Uh, so, so, so that's then, all great. I mean, lots of great novels and dramas and who done yeah, around that around that theme. But um, then in 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 sixteen seventy four, there seems to be an answer to the mystery, doesn't there? When okay, the so bones... we've got a question from Doctor um, Sushma Jansari, um, very distinguished curator at the British Museum, who I hope will be coming on the show. Who asks, "What's with the bodies of children found in the tower?" Is that have I preempted you? No, that's exactly it. Sixteen seventy four. Some bodies are found. Some bones are found, and they're identified as the two boys. And Charles the Second orders them buried in Westminster Abbey, doesn't he? And he says um, that they, yeah, he says uh, here lie the relics of Edward the Fifth, King of England, and Richard, Duke of York. But I think is the general consensus now that they're probably not. Um, well, they got they got looked they got reexamined in nineteen thirty three, and they're incomplete skeletons, and there's quite a lot of animal bones. Yeah. So, so again, this know. goes back to that thing about the tower. The tower is this big sprawling complex at the time. Yeah. There's lots of different buildings. So There's probably a lot of why. different people buried in the grounds. Um, there's no reason to believe that these are necessarily the princes. And I think the Queen has refused permission for them to be well. Ex- more tantalising. Did you did you know about the the discovery at um, St George's Chapel in Windsor? Oh, I did see something about this. Yeah, which yeah. is which is really intriguing. So there were workmen working there, and that's where Edward the Fourth and then in due course. Um, Elizabeth Woodville have been buried together and they kind of, they not, they accidentally knock through into the crypt and they find that there's another adjacent crypt. Um, and there are the, the bodies of two children in it. And the names on the coffins are, are two of um, uh, Edward the fourth's children who had predeceased him, but they had, they'd been buried elsewhere. Yes. I would see that. That's mysterious. So, but Tom, is there not an even more exciting possibility as recently is. featured in the Her Majesty's Daily Telegraph? <laughs> Indeed. I don't know whether whether people saw this. Um, this is, uh, a, a, again, part of Philippa Langley's lifelong project to prove... So to be fair to her, she did, find, she, did. she did find she the, bodies, did. the body of Richard III on the car park. So uh, she has form. Park. She does have form. Um, and... She is uh, a keen supporter of something called, according to Telegraph, the Missing Princes Project, um, which is led by someone called John Dyke. Uh, And Telegraph reports him as saying the idea of a missing prince lying low in Devon might appear fanciful at first. With all the secret symbols and clues, it sounds somewhat like the Da Vinci Code. But the discoveries inside this church in the middle of nowhere, that's in the middle of Dartmoor end of a lane are extraordinary the evidence suggests that edward was so that's edward v so the elder of the princes and it's interesting i think dominic that all the pretenders none of them are edward v they're all kind of richard probably because he was too well known at the age of 12 yeah so you can't impersonate him so the evidence suggests that edward was actually sent to live out his days on his half-brother's land as long as he kept quiet as part of a deal reached between his mother and richard iii and later with henry tudor once you take all the clues together, it does appear that the story of the princes in the tower may need to be rewritten. Well, you know what he recalled himself, according to this? John Evans. And there's... there's um, He built his own chantry, didn't he, at the age of 41, and he put lots of clues to himself. Well, among which, yeah. uh, that, that on his tomb, of course, if you, if you look, Evans, what, what are the first two letters of Evans? E-V. E- E5. Oh, extraordinary. So, well, well. Do you believe this, Tom? 
I'm, I'm not entirely convinced. I, I, I'm not. I'm not convinced I mean, when at all. Uh, when when um, when John, John Dyke says that it sounds somewhat like the Da Vinci Code, I, I think that's. <laughs> I think that's not yeah. inaccurate. I mean, basically, let me just address the uh, the central implausibility. Is it plausible that Richard, who we know is so hard nosed, and Henry the Seventh, and so ruthless, two incredibly ruthless men who have a track record of executing their enemies, which is why they're able to become king in the first place, that they would agree a deal to allow their biggest rival to go and live under an assumed name on Dartmoor, and that he then, him in his turn, (laughs) would leave lots of clues, (laughs) yeah, would never surface and try and recapture the crown, but would. build a load of clues into the church i think that's just you know i mean stranger things have happened but not many that's all yeah. i'll say yeah but but you know i mean philip langley you know she was right with the car park so she was she was who knows? Yeah. um she'll be laughing at us one day tom in that channel four documentary proving that Edward the Fifth, I know, I they'll know. play bits of this podcast they were going a montage of our shamed countenances <laughs> Oh dear. Um, anyway, uh, Ping Pong on the Discord asks, "Why are we still interested in this mystery murder over so many others?" Well, that's um, a very good question. And I think actually it, it is because there are just the, a, a final solution. I think isn't. I shouldn't use the word final solution, should I? The, the kind of a c- conclusive solution is not possible because yeah, agreed. You know, there's not enough. We evidence. can't be. I but mean, even just, though we both there's think enough that evidence did it. Yeah. to construct all kinds of various possibilities um plus of course it involves kings and princes. but also clearly there's a romantic element isn't there to the last plantagenet to richard the third which encourages ricardians to find him innocent so there's this sort of notion isn't there that the medieval period comes to a kind of crashing end at the battle of bosworth plus henry the age of kind of accountant a grim yeah. accountant the age of yes. knights and stuff is gone yeah. and it's replaced by exactly this sort of miserable penny pincher and then his wail of a son and that people romanticize the age that went before the Plantagenets. They romanticize Richard, of course, because he's an, he's the, 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 the guy from the North. He's very religious, all of this sort of stuff. And I think then there becomes this urge to find him innocent and also to think, I would say, to think that you have discovered the key to history. Yeah. And, you know, well, something you know, that the academics I- haven't spotted and all this sort of stuff. I think. I'm just wondering about this. I, this just thinking aloud here. Um, I, I wonder also if a part of it isn't sublimated hostility to Shakespeare. A kind oh, that of that is. I didn't see that coming. No. Well, there is actually kind of rather similar stuff around the identity of Shakespeare. You know, was he the Earl of Oxford or yeah, that's whatever. True. That's true. So there's a question here. Um, Ollie Oko again on the um, on the Discord. Was Shakespeare's reputation slipping circa 1593, and he needed a sycophantic pro Tudor play to keep the Queen happy and boost his oh, there's a man who, There's somebody who doesn't like Shakespeare. Yeah, so I think I think that this idea that Shakespeare is a kind of um, he's either uh, you know he's a fraud who is uh, taking the credit yeah. that properly belongs to an aristocrat, or that he's a kind of uh, sinister conniving sycophant. Um, it kind of. And maybe if you had a bad time studying him at school or something, it's a way to, to kind of well, elbow him aside. I, I mean, is I, it not just a hostility to the received wisdom in general? And to sort of the I, yes, idea I think of it's a part of that. And, and I think Shakespeare that. is kind of, you know, as as the greatest writer. Yeah. There's a kind of pleasure in, in kicking him. I think there's definitely a lot of well. people And also Thomas More. So in, 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 yeah. um, in, in The Daughter of Time, Thomas More is absolutely the villain. Um, you know, you get that in, uh, you know. Hilary Mantel. 
yes, exactly. She thinks so, Thomas More is the villain. So Thomas More and Shakespeare are both, you know, people who've been so eulogised that there's a kind of um, seditious pleasure. In, yeah, I think that's <laughs> you know, true. Giving them a kicking. But I think, I do also think that um, Richard's obviously been unlucky uh, in Shakespeare because it's a brilliant play. The, the the Ian McKellen have you seen the um, yeah fantastic set it's, in it's, it's sort of World in, War Two type it's a, yes it's so, yes it's kind of nineteen thirties a um, bit like the uh, production of Beckett that I did at uh, the Edinburgh <laughs> Festival Tom <laughs> yes it all becomes fascist <laughs> yeah. um, I think there's an there's a kind of way in which you could cast Richard as a kind of Raúl Castro or you know a, 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 the, <laughs> the, the the brother of yeah. you know an autocrat or you know one of those one of the al assads or some you know someone who after the charismatic founder of the regime has gone has yeah. to be ruthless to to keep his regime in power and to keep Jim Callahan to uh, Edward the Fourth's Harold Wilson <laughs> yeah, that's the other way is that the I'll comparison you, you were looking for that's the that's the comparison that I was graping for I'm glad that you've provided well it. he's Robert with- Kennedy to uh, to JFK I think I mm-hmm. think he's more serious he's he's the dutiful younger brother who finds himself pushed suddenly into the limelight. But Robert um, Kennedy didn't didn't murder any children. Didn't murder no, his I mean nephews. that's true. Well, then we don't. We, we can't conclusively say that Richard did. No, no. But, I th- but, you see, I think Tom, I'm very sympathetic to Richard, um, but even though I think he probably did kill the princess in the tower, I think well, he's in that, a so, he's so in a he, really really difficult position, and he's so, trying to make the best of it. And of course, killing your nephews is n- is not normally <laughs> the, the the most admirable way out. But I think br- I think to be brutal about it in that world, he had no choice. His choice is probably keep taking these kind of bloodstained acts but he, you or see, basically but, to lose the game. But he did lose the game. And and he lost the game not just for himself, but for his, but for his entire family. Yeah. The Yorkists should have, you know, there was a plenitude of sons and daughters. They should have, you know, the, the 16th century should have been the Yorkist age. And what do you the think fact that it wasn't, do you think you know, Richard could have taken very, very different decisions. The actually. interesting thing is that had it been the Yorkist age, I mean, this is indulging in a colossal counterfactual, which I know we've poured scorn on in earlier podcasts, the idea of counterfactuals. But a, a secure Yorkist regime, in a Plantagenet regime in the mid-16th century, I would say is much less likely to break with Rome than to encourage the growth of Protestantism. Although, and it's partly Henry VIII's insecurity, well, although, famously, which... Although it's obvious that... Um, you know, having unsuitable marriages is is something that Edward the Fourth is capable of passing on to his descendants. Yeah. So who knows? Well, that's true. I mean, maybe, that's true. maybe so. Maybe one. his grandson or some successor would have been Henry the Eighth in a different guise. So I do. I do think Richard Richard is is a tragic figure, and and not for the reasons that Shakespeare makes him a tragic figure. He's not a, a kind of out and out villain. I think he he perhaps for reasons that that ultimately he's unable to control. He he destroys himself and. Yeah, his family and his regime, and he's a massive loser. Harsh, mm. Tom Holland, he's a murderer and a loser. Yeah, very harsh. I shall leave you to field the correspondence with the Ricardians <laughs> when the podcast is over. Please address your complaints to Tom. And no, not to me. You, uh, so, who do you think murdered the prince in the Tower, Dominic? Before we go, well, I think Richard did it, but I think he right. was right to do it. That's the difference. <laughs> But he wasn't right. He, did, he immolated his regime. Well, if he'd won at Bosworth, though, Tom, decision. if he'd won at Bosworth, it would he have been right. did he? He didn't because, they, yep. because nobody backed him. Well, he was pretty close at Bosworth. I mean, it could. It was very much a, you know, it was a bit like uh, Aston Villa's exit from the FA Cup last night, Tom. It could have gone either way. Sorry, I know that's a sore point. Right. Um, 
Thank you very much. Uh, we will see. What will we see them for next? Uh, railways. History of the railways. Beginnings History of the railways. Of the railways. Very Founding exciting. Of the railways with In which Dan Jackson. Dan Jackson I believe, may be wearing a hat. <laughs> he does, but of course you won't be able to see that. No, but you'll um, know that it was he... there. <laughs> yes. uh, so we'll see you then. Um, thanks very much for listening. Uh, and don't forget that Dominic also thinks that Richard murdered the princess in the tower. So address all correspondence to both of us. Thanks Goodbye. Very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>